Hello, and welcome to episode number seven of European UFOs. I'm your host, Sebastian, and if you like this episode, then please make sure to subscribe and leave a review. It really helps. When we think of UFOs, Finland might not be the first country to come to mind. Nonetheless, unbeknownst to many, Finland harbors a rich archive of UFO cases meticulously catalogued by researchers over the last five decades. In the course of this episode, we shall explore a very compelling case that stands as a testament to the mysterious and often dramatic nature of some of these cases. This singular incident involves multiple credible witnesses within Finland's military, a paper trail, and even reports of physiological harm inflicted on the key witness as a result of his close encounter with an unknown craft. Known as the Rovaniemi Air Force Incident from 1971, it is undoubtedly one of the most significant cases in Finland, if not beyond. Here with me to discuss Finnish UFOs is Heiki Kulchu, chairman of the Finnish UFO Research Association. Heiki is a seasoned veteran in the field of UFO research with decades of experience under his belt. He's documented some of the most well-known cases in Finland's rich UFO history, including the 1971 Rovaniemi case. So, sit back, relax, and get ready to explore the secrets of Finnish skies and the mysteries that linger in the shadows. Hello, Heike, and welcome to, <laughs> welcome to European UFOs. How are you doing? Ah, pretty good. No major problems. <laughs> Everything's yeah. okay. It's just a little time change. Uh, last uh, night, uh, we go to the... Uh, is it winter time or summertime? Or winter time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I always get confused by that as well. Fortunately, my uh, girlfriend told me that you know <laughs> it, it happened. Otherwise, I uh, would have probably missed the um, the um, the interview today. But yeah, it's kind of it's strange that they still do this. To be honest, but um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so is it already kind of a wintry setting in Finland? Or yeah, just uh, a little bit. Actually, it's been pretty cold. Uh, past couple of weeks surprisingly cold yeah uh, but no no snow here in west finland where i live um today this morning we've got just a little bit snowing but fortunately it's over this is just a little bit too early for the winter <laughs> well we get, yeah we used to get the permanent snow somewhere sometime in december and in a good case in january because we uh, are in the western part of the country, about an hour from the Gulf of Bartnia due east. So the locality, the town is Lapua. Well, <laughs> um, well, at least you get snow. So where I'm based here, it's only raining and dark, um, which isn't particularly nice, but, you know, I have to get used to it. I'm, I'm used to it by now. So anyways, so um, Heike, you're um, a man of many talents. Um, so obviously it would be really interesting to hear um, a bit more about your background and how you got involved with um, UFOs. Okay. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, I've been interested in paranormal matters all my life, since the age of 10 or maybe 9, not sure exactly when it started, but I be- the first thing I became interested in was um, the hypnotism. And I was seriously interested in hypnotism. Um, and believe it or not, I was 14 years old 
when I was ready to hypnotize. And I started the hypnotism at the age of 14. But I have read everything I was I, I was able to get about the hypnotism and and that's that's how it started. I became interested in uh, UFOs probably at the age of 14, but I do remember that the first thing I saw uh, or my first <laughs> impression was the uh, a cartoon. I was probably eight, nine years old, and I saw the pictures of the flying saucers in the magazine. Uh, of course, I did not ex- understood exactly what it's all about, but I do remember it still that I saw the pictures of the flying saucers and wondered what they are. And, and that's the first interaction to uh, uh, flying saucers. But at the age of 14, in the local library, I ran to a new uh, books. They were George Adamski books, which I rented. I think I was the first person to rent them. <laughs> and I loaded the books and <clears throat> I loaded the books and and um, that that was the beginning. Immediately, I realized that this is something um, I take it very seriously, and this is very interesting, and I got to uh, research it uh, thoroughly. So that's how it started. And uh, if we go a little bit further, um, uh, nineteen seventy three. Uh, we established the Finnish UFO Research Association. I became became the nem- uh, member number or researcher number twenty, and I've been involved with this organization uh, ever since. I'll tell you a little bit facts a little bit later, but um, um, of course, in between the um, uh, say 50, fourteen and uh, and. <laughs> About 20 years old, I tried to get, um, I'll find the, all the books available about UFOs, and, and that's how it started. But uh, I've, I've done many other things. I was, I, I was in, interested in parapsychology and uh, read everything about parapsychology and related sciences. <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, um, uh, I am... Um, uh, I, I was involved with the hypnotism very deeply, and that was a really, really interesting, interesting hobby. And I use uh, still today hypnosis uh, in, uh, in, in investigating the um, uh, abduction cases. I've had, well, a uh, few very interesting cases <laughs> during my life. Yeah. So when you got involved, um or when you got interested in um, UFO research in Finland uh, way back uh, when you were a teenager, I suppose most of the literature was um, American English, or were there already yeah. some um, efforts by by Finnish colleagues to publish things? Yeah, yeah. The first books were translated in Finnish. Uh, that was I, I was probably fourteen years old uh, when the. Um, George Amarski books were translated to Finnish, and there was a couple of more um, other books. I don't recall the names, but but anyway, and that's how it started. Then a little later, uh, let's just jump a little uh, different thing to my background. I was interested in magic tricks, not the magic, but magic tricks and magic performances, and I I became interested in magic tricks uh, when I was about twelve years old, and. Uh, uh, it turned out to be my o- occupation for 25 years, and I still perform magic shows, not professionally, but um, <laughs> if 
but on a regular basis. <clears throat> so I began all of magic stuff at the age of 14 from the United States because they were not available here. I, re- I do remember that there was a company in Germany, at least one, and uh, something in Sweden uh, and, and so forth. So I became involved with the um, importing uh, goods and stuff and books and magic tricks and so forth. So, of course, I began order also uh, books concerning UFO uh, phenomenon from the United States. And uh, I became, I became uh, in, um, well, my first trip to the United States was 1973. We performed magic show in, in the USA. We went around the country and also we performed in Ontario, Canada. So that was my first trip to a USA, USA, and and I bought lots of books, and and also I, I do remember that I bought lots of books concerning astrology, <laughs> which was my hobby at that time, but um, not not that much anymore. But it's an interesting interesting subject anyway. Um, so so um, I that's the way it started. I, I started importing uh, goods, which later in my life became very relevant uh, thing <laughs> to, to know how to import stuff, goods, products. So um, that's, that's how I, I started. But I, uh, I was interested in many, many areas, philosophy, religions, and, and so on, and so on. And still, I am interested in those subjects and follow them uh, on active basis. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's very um, very good because um, it turns out the uh, UFO phenomenon uh, is obviously very complex, and you know to understand it, I think you know it's more than just a uh, you know nuts and bolts phenomenon, and uh, requires a multidisciplinary approach. So it's always good to keep an open mind and to explore different different avenues. Um, so when you were doing your um, or embarking on your um, career as a magician in the US, do you also have the opportunity to um, speak to uh, um, US researchers back then? Um, or did that happen later? Because I know you're also um, internationally quite well connected um, with other UFO researchers. So. Actually, uh, that one, uh, 1973, when I started traveling to the United States, I've been there over 150 times so far and spent time a few years. Uh, we bought house from Florida, uh, seven, uh, 89, I think it was, and we had it about 18 years. I sold it because my uh, business it became so large that I had no time to travel, go to Florida. Florida. But that's an, after my my magician career uh, changed unexpectedly because um, because I thought that mail order business is probably an interesting hobby. And when I was in Walmart in the, in somewhere in the, maybe in, in, in West Palm Beach or somewhere, and I saw a, a vehicle compass it was they were selling it, and I thought that this is interesting. I haven't seen it in Finland. Maybe I could import this, and and that's my business uh, world started. And I started as a hobby, and it was supposed to be hobby. I had no 
any opinion whatsoever. It changed my career from the professional magician to a businessman. But that's how it started. I've been amateur radio operator, operator, ham radio operator, almost all my life from the age of 14. I became uh, a member of local radio club and, and, and so forth. And, and then a little later, I began importing amateur radio equipments uh, from Japan. And then I realized that I had no time to perform magic shows because I had to be answering questions and phones were ringing and I got an order and and it became a very lucrative, uh, good business. And, and, and I, I, was, I started from garage. And within a couple of years, I was the largest amateur radio dealer in this country. And then I added uh, other stuff and, and, and acupuncture. I've been interested in acupuncture for a long time and, and still do acupuncture. And my youngest son is a professional acupuncturist. And my, uh, my daughter, she's also acupuncturist and, and, and so forth. So um, that's basically one. But when it comes to the uh, meeting, I mostly uh, had a meetings with magicians when I was in the United States. And also, I became a member to um, a hypnotist uh, group at the West Palm Beach area. Um, and uh, those were the people. I didn't meet UFO people, uh, actually, at all. So that became later. But but I, I had no con- contacts with whatsoever to... Uh, uh, UFO groups. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but anyway, that's the way it went. Yeah, and um, I wonder. So, as a magician, do you think it has um, given you a particular perspective on the uh, UFO phenomenon? Because, as a magician, you create illusions, and mm. you, you know you entice the um, the audience, and. Um, so does it, did it give you a particular um, view on the evidence? Because unfortunately, um, in you know the UFO world, there are a lot of charlatans and yes. hoaxes have happened. So I imagine that you know um, with that background, you might have a unique perspective on discerning what is real and what might not be real. Yeah, not that much in the UFO area, but when it comes to the psychic things. That was enormous help that I was magician, and also I perform mentalism, so I know what it's all about. I know exactly, and this has tremendous advantage. I knew I almost immediately was, was able to pinpoint if someone is is not real. <laughs> so um, lots lots of help, and of course everything else I've. Uh, I've studied over the years has uh, had some sort of effect to the UFO research, but to be a magician, you have a um, certain view to the things, and you um, when you do the interviews and that sort of stuff, and the hypnosis as well, of course, it's also an important tool, uh, and 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 so forth. But everything has a, has a, some some sort of effect. What I'm now from the back background from the from the past and so you over the years you've investigated many 
I don't know how many, but hundreds probably UFO cases in, in Finland. Mm. Um, have you ever had a personal experience with uh, UFOs? Because for some of my guests I've had on the show so far, this has also been a catalyst to um, really get even more into the topic, having that uh, you know, experience of having witnessed something themselves. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen uh, UFOs uh, three times. The first one was quite interesting because um, that was uh, 80s, I think, was early 80s. I was coming, uh, driving from the my town center to home, and I do remember that I was I visited in the bank. At that time, we we got the receipts from the bank. If someone I had a business at that time, and every morning I, I went to a bank and pick up the invoices or bank uh, receipts uh, from the bank, and I was driving back to home. It's about 1.5 kilometers, uh, less than 2 kilometers to my home. On the way here, uh, I was driving home, and I suddenly I, I, I realized that there was some sort of small ball about... 15 centimeters like a silver ball i first thought that it must be a it must be a, a soap bubble the kids are blowing the soap soap uh, soap bubbles and but then i realized because it's hovering about three meter height and came uh, to my view in, and i was slowly driving driving uh, towards home there's a speed limit because it is a rather small road, so there's a 50-kilometer speed limit. And and when the ball, the silver ball, it was floating in the air and came to my side, I realized that this is not the salt bubble. It's something else. And I sensed that there is something intelligent in the ball. Of course, it was remote control. But I I felt like there was a person, <laughs> and the person smiled and said some sort of the hello or something like that, and then I I thought okay I'm going to stop the car, but before I could do that I have to watch the back view uh, mirror that is there someone behind me, and unfortunately there was two cars behind me, and I couldn't break. break. Press the brake pedal, pedal, and next time uh, I, I tried to see the ball, it was gone, and that was absolutely the first time I heard this kind of uh, silver balls, which were small. It took several years until I read it in the United States. Someone had seen that sort of uh, small silver ball type uh, UFO, and. Um, a little later, I, hold, uh, I heard a, a couple of stories from Finland about the uh, similar experiences. So that was the first time it was definitely a so-called UFO, unexplained. And it was not the soap bubble. I know that there was no kids in this particular place. I knew everyone, almost everyone, uh, who are uh, living in this that particular area. So that was the first one. The next one was... Um, I was walking with my dog in one morning, early January morning, about uh, ten, uh, about fifteen years ago, a little over, maybe twenty, almost twenty years ago. I was uh, walking um, back to home, and I was it was 
uh, a quite cloudy morning and um, 7.30 in the morning. And I saw three stars on the eastern sky. They were in a triangle shaped. One light was up, two down. And then and I, I, I somehow I watched that because there was clouds, but those were the only visible visible uh, so-called stars. And unexpectedly, the lowermost point, uh, the, the star, so-called star, which was not star, but started moving in about 45-degree angle and slowly moved behind the clouds. And, oh, I forgot to tell you that first, the it began to change, uh, not the color, but it became very bright. In about a few seconds, it became, say, um, 20 times brighter what it was when I saw it the first time. And then it started moving. So that's the one. Third one was um, about two years ago. In May, mid-May, we were filming uh, the documentary about UFO researchers uh, for the YLE, the Finnish Broadcasting Company. And uh, we had we decided to make a one. All the all the uh, filming was uh, was already done, completed. But the editor wanted to have a little addition, and we decided to do it because there was a person at this area about about an hour from here, who owned a um, uh, searchlight that were used during the war time. Those large, huge, huge. Uh, searchlights and they pinpointed uh, airplanes. So um, <clears throat> this owner said that he had seen several times plasma balls on the around the beam, on the, around the light beam. So we went to film that. I hope that maybe we see some uh, light balls. <laughs> and I was about to interview the owner, uh, and suddenly the owner who was watching the uh, southern sky, uh, he said, that, what's that? And I turned around and I watched the area. He pointed, there was a ball, brownish ball. It was not typical UFO color because they usually, usually fluids or that sort of, but that, that, was, that was a uh, brownish color. So, and suddenly... Another pole, similar, just appeared from the like thin air. It was about the same size, about the size of a, a baseball. And it was visible only a few seconds, and then it suddenly disappeared just like that. And immediately the other one disappeared. And I'm 100% sure that this, is, <laughs> this was nothing I can explain by traditional explanations uh never seen anything like this but i've heard similar cases and that was the third one nothing really yeah. drastic and sensational but they have been they have been uh interesting cases and uh, what i thought about the last case i immediately thought that 
they, whatever they are, they knew what we are doing there. They wanted to get the finish to the uh, documentary, and that was the finish. They they didn't explain in the in the documentary what was going on. It was just because I spread my hands and did you see it? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really fascinating, and it's kind of a recurring theme, actually. So it reminds me um, of an episode I did a while back with um, Erling Strand about the Hestalen lights, and there were also no. some interaction with flashlights and UFOs. So absolutely fascinating, and um, and also this idea that you know they know. Or whatever it is, this non-human intelligence presumably has some idea of what's going on. Um, reminds me of an interview I did with um, Eamon Ansbro, and they also did it in Ireland, and they also did a TV documentary, I think, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, there, they also captured it on film on live television. So there's, there is this sort of interesting um, connection. Um, so... In Finland, what do you do when you see an see a UFO? Can you report it somewhere? And um, yeah. How, yeah. how does how does yeah, that we happen? have a website? We have had a website since the early two thousand. And uh, actually, I was about to tell you because I had the, some fact info about the organization about this this systems uh, just briefly. Perfect. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, maybe Ellen, let me see if I can. Okay. How about if in this point I read you the fact infos about the um, about the Finnish UFO Research Association? I've just collected some fact infos just briefly. Uh, what, what's going on? Yep. So it makes probably easier understanding. Per, 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 perfect. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, the association was founded in. 1973, so we are now 50 years old. The association is National Independent UFO Research Organization covering the entire Finland. We have about 300 members, of which about 50 are the UFO investigators, and about half of them are active investigators. The association has about... 3,000 UFO reports on paper form and about 2,500 in a database. The association publishes a magazine called Contact. It is currently published twice a year. The magazine has an average 40-45 pages. We also publish a uh, we publish a book every second year. The new book was published on September 1st this year, 2023. The new book contains 330 pages. The book is hardcover and has 260 pictures. The book weights one kilo. The first edition is already sold out. We'll get the second edition for, for the Christmas in about two, two three weeks. Um, our board um, um, contains uh, about 10 members, uh, include, including spare members. We meet mainly using Zoom server. 
meetings are usually two or three times in a month. We also have book sales and magazine. Um, <laughs> we also have book sales and organize two public seminars a year, and a larger three-day congress every second year. Our last three-day congress was last September, the first weekend from Friday to Sunday. Uh, we receive um, 100 to 150 reports to our database of un- unidentified phenomena, or UAPs, each year. Uh, we have produced a TV documentary for YLE, the, the TV one, um, the Finnish Broadcasting Corporation. The documentary was on last September on TV one on a as a prime time show, and in several reruns on other Wiley channels. The documentary received um, was re- received very. Uh, <laughs> The documentary received very good reviews of, of uh, viewers. Um, this was the first UFO program on TV One for 30 years. We were very proud that our most important TV channel wanted to cooperate with us. So uh, we have recently been featured in several newspapers and and magazines, talking about national uh, magazines and, and newspapers, and that this has brought us lots of positive uh, publicity. So, so that's basically what shortly about the organization. Yes, that sounds. Thank, thanks a lot for this overview. Um, what do you think is just in your opinion is the um, general um, attitude of the public in Finland towards UFOs? Is there? Do you think there's an interest now also in the wake of that um, TV documentary you produced last year? Or is it something that's been ridiculed and people are not really interested in? Um, what do you think? I think their at, uh, attitude has changed recently or within the past three years considerably. Actually, uh, we do receive very little uh, negative uh, feedback. Actually, it's, it's minimal. Especially after the documentary, we estimated, we, we thought that we might get lots of uh, all kind of crap, <laughs> but it was vice versa. The, the response was very positive, really positive, and, and uh, we have received extremely little uh, negative feedback. So attitude has changed Within past three, I would say within past three years, considerably. So the uh, of course there's a lot of skeptics. Mostly they are engineers and people who think that they know everything and they can use uh, <clears throat> use the computer <laughs> and uh, scientific methods that they know everything. And what when they studied uh, 30, 40 years ago, all the facts are still valid and <laughs> and so forth. They're the worst, but uh, I understand them, uh, but but um, generally uh, the uh, interest to the uh, UFO phenomenon has increased tremendously, especially because what has happened in the United States recently. Uh, it has changed also skeptics' attitudes because now they know that even the government and Senate in the USA uh, is interested in UFO, UFOs and uh, UAPs and 
uh, they are investigating it. Although those who are in knowledge, so those who know, they know that they have been studied UFOs since 50s or actually, I think, from the, uh, 1939. And ever since, it's been in, investigated on several levels and areas. But um, now, when they're talking about Senate and Congress, it has changed the attitudes. And uh, the same has happened in Finland. And as I said, we have an <coughs> lots of uh, publicity in the newspaper, national newspapers, and and, and so forth. So um, it has changed their attitude. Uh, and yeah, um, I mean, there's something also I've been thinking about quite a bit, and um, I've also come to realize is that ever since 2017 and that New York Times um, article, the uh, the world has changed, and the ripple effects are also, um, you know, you can also feel them in in Europe. If that, so over the last few years, there has been quite a dramatic change also in the public. Uh, attitude towards UFOs and in particular with the um, media, um, you know, question is if you also want to include the legacy media in that, like BBC and so on. I think they've failed horribly uh, in recent uh, weeks with the David Grush story, but that's, that's a, that's a different affair. And um, I think what you mentioned in terms of the, uh, you know, skeptics like you know engineers and so on i think there's a fine line between being a good skeptic mm. and um, being a debunker and i yeah, think right. a, lot, a lot of the things you see um a lot of the critique that has been levied against um ufo research is really from the point of view oh this can't be true, but um, I've already I haven't seen the facts, but it can't be true. I think <laughs> this is this is this is um, the mantra that's um, yeah. as often often put forward. Um, but speaking um, of data, I know you've going to talk a bit about a particular case study, which is really relevant. But just on a very high level for our audience, um, have there been? phases in uh, in um, Finnish UFO research that stand out to you? Have there been like flaps, uh, mass sightings of UFOs during particular decades? Um, um, so I guess what I'm getting at is have there been ups and downs in UFO activity in Finland? Yeah, let's talk about the activity in our organization. Well, absolutely, there's been activity up and downs <laughs> because it's the organization is 50 years old and <clears throat> there's been down uh so uh, we can downstream uh, for a while before i came the uh, chairman of the organization unfortunately before that uh, <clears throat> it didn't go too well in the organization and it took a lot of time to get it back to uh, what it was when it started uh, uh, of course the organization has worked all the time but not so well There's, there was a skeptic period uh, also in this organization and that was very negative when we think about it later uh, and uh, <clears throat> So um, when I was, I wasn't the member of the um, the, the organization. I mean, uh, the um, not the chairman earlier, but I was 
the chief of uh, investigators for a few years, also a board member and so forth. But then, uh, well, I was asked to um, start as a, <laughs> as a chairman and and I decided to change the course, turn the course entirely. And I did it. And um, I did uh, lots of improvements and changes to the organization. And it has worked very well, although I say it myself, but that's what what, what has happened. Activity is very good nowadays. Uh, we, have, we have finally getting back to the uh, uh, same membership uh, membership uh, amount what we had about 25 years ago, 30 years ago. It took a long time to get it because we, when I started, we had only 60 people in the organization. Now we have 300 and we're growing uh, all the time. So in a small country, it's pretty good. And and there seemed to be interest uh, to become a member. And we started the magazine and uh, of course, we have published books since uh, since the '73. Um, about when, actually, every second year. So the book we published now was 25th book. So there's about 12 books earlier published in our organization, but the last one is the um, is the um, absolute the best we have ever done. This was also the 50-year anniversary book. But um, all these things have um, changed the situation and organization is growing uh, growing quite rapidly because nowadays the situation is that it's really, really hard to get members. Whatever organization you have, I member many organizations because I'm involved in so many things. Um, I'm at the radio operator. I'm a pilot. I'm an airplane. Uh, I'm a rotary member, art yeah. fellow member, and and so forth and so forth. And I know what is the problem with every single organization. I forgot to mention magician organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> member of several several magicians. Uh, Associations worldwide. So, so that's that's a problem. But uh, I'm happy to um, find out that a UFO uh, organization is growing up uh, all the time. So that's very very positive, and we're working for that. And we have uh, we have lots of plans for the future. And for the West, we have got very uh, important people uh, to become uh, uh, our members. So we've got the several professors already and uh, doctors and uh, and uh, x-ray doctors and anesthetic doctors and whatever. So very good people who are and have been interested in UFOs in the past, but they never speak about it. <laughs> so um, that that's also important that we get the, that sort of people uh, to uh, join to our organization. Absolutely. And I think that's also one of the changes in recent years, probably since around 2017, particularly in the US, uh, notable researchers and academics have also come forward uh, incrementally, um, you know, with with a valid interest in in this subject. So I think that is uh, very important. Um, 
And so I suppose that as the numbers uh, are increasing of um, within your organization, that also the number of sightings goes up because I suppose that if you have more people looking into this, um, you will also increase the overall number of sightings. Yeah, yeah. and what yeah. is most important, after the document, I noticed this very clearly, people were not anymore afraid to report of the sightings, they have had sightings. They had what had happened when they were uh, in a uh, uh, child. So um, <clears throat> I got the tremendous amount of phone calls after the documentary because it was on at the prime time on TV One, which is the uh, so-called our official TV channel. Like I said before, they haven't uh, shown anything about the UFOs in, in about the past thirty years. So this this was the first one, and in Venice, and they realized that okay, those people, those guys are nice. I was not the only one. I had my couple of other uh, members from our, uh, from the association. Um, I asked my helpers, and um, they noticed that that um, oh, those are nice guys. They do not try to uh, try to <coughs> ridicule uh, them, and, and and so forth, and. So they were not afraid to call me. So I've got many very interesting cases. They were mostly old cases, maybe 30 years, but they were remarkable cases. And they talk about it for the first time. Several people never talk about this because my father, I was about 15 years old, and my father told us, you are not going to talk about this to anyone they're going to say that we're crazy if you talk about it. And they believe it, and they didn't talk about it. So um, that sort of uh, so-called old uh, incidents, we were recorded several, not necessarily the new, but of course we received about the same rate, about 100 to 150 reports uh, in a year. They are mostly traditional light balls and that sort of stuff, uh, which I pretty much, to be honest, <laughs> a little bit boring <laughs> for the UFO researcher because you have you have heard about those uh, balls moving on the sky hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But anyway, every now and then there's something very important like abductions and that sort of stuff and close encounters and and so forth. Of course, the light poles are okay if they move, uh, say, a zigzag form and and do not move like a satellite straight line and and so forth and so forth. But yeah, uh, we have hundreds of them. <laughs> yeah, and I found the uh, opening episode of your uh, show really interesting um, with this. Um, mobile phone capture of um of a light ball from from the window um i think it was a woman who woke up at night because her partner was snoring <laughs> oh, she, yeah yeah have you yeah. seen the document i have i've seen all of them yeah yeah it's, uh, it's really? absolutely amazing yeah oh, yeah oh i didn't know that where you managed to get it because it was widely uh, they haven't released it for, or is it already turned internationally it's it's internationally on the arena um kind of there's um there's an online platform where you can just watch it and even with english subtitles so it's uh, oh, pretty really? neat yeah oh yeah. i didn't know that 
yeah, yeah. No, no, it's absolutely oh. really, 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 really great. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and as you mentioned also that, um, UFO abduction case with that gentleman who, um, who you then put under, uh, hypnosis was also fascinating. Yeah. 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 Right. Very interesting yeah. case. And yeah, I, yeah. I think that's one even probably even more interesting in case, but the, the, the lady, she's, um, psychologist by her occupation and she's very cautious because she's still working professionally of course uh, she is <laughs> she do not want to be uh, revealed that she's something something uh, something a crazy person because she has, uh, she's experienced the uh, abduction or actually it was not abduction it was that she's been earlier in a previous life uh, some sort of like a psychologist, she said that not not like here on the earth, but the similar occupation in the spaceship, and the spaceship where she was was the um, very advanced holographic computers and and whatever they she had there, and um, she was the ship was sort of like an in uh, earthly terms an ambulance. They helped. The uh, planets which were in danger, or actually something drastic had happened uh, at, at, at the a particular planet, so they were asked to go to help, and she was part of this team, and it was very, very interesting. Lots of information and um, lots, of, lots of details, and she was so surprised because she was a psychologist and she studied. She had studied just uh, the, uh, the become interested in UFOs about a year earlier, and that's how it started. It started so that one morning she saw a very strange mark uh, here um, between the thumb and the first finger. It was so peculiar mark that she uh, began to thought that it must be something something very very strange happened. Uh, she already thought that probably an abduction or something, and and uh, she wanted to uh, to be hypnotized that uh, we can somehow explain how the mark on the on the hand uh, had um, appeared there, and they explained it. It was nothing else. I, I suspect that it's a, there's an implant, but she said no, it was not implant. It was just to uh, arouse her mind that uh, that something has happened, and this mark somehow was some sort of catapult, <laughs> so so that it, it uh, wake her up a little. And in a hypnosis, we were able to uh, get the details about this and, and 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 lots of other things. But there's yes. a lot of things to do. But she's very cautious now. And it takes time to that she can um, understand what has happened because everything was new to her, and it was so important, uh, important experience to her. That, but um, we will continue one day uh, going through the details. Yeah, but um, I mean, looking where the world is headed, I'm glad there might be an intergalactic ambulance floating around somewhere. I think that would be very helpful for everyone. Yeah. Um, 
but um yeah i mean when so is you know first of all congrats to that show i think it's really well done and the people um you've interviewed and the cases you've investigated you can tell that there really is something um substantive behind them so it's um especially the one you mentioned earlier with the um world war ii flashlight going up into the sky because this you know you could just tell this is a no bullshit guy he just lives there and then had this um experience and um so it's very fascinating i'll make sure to put a link to the um to the show in the podcast description so people can check it out as i said it's also available with english subtitles which um which is definitely a great thing um so in doing my research for this episode i came across the 1970s as a particular um, dramatic um, episode in Finnish UFO sightings. And um, I think uh, it's peculiar because also you've got parallel developments in the US and also other countries. And it's always the early 1970s up until the mid-1970s where you see lots of UFO activity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, I gather you've brought a case with you that you can share some insights um, about from from that era. Yeah, there's been many remarkable UFO incidents uh, <clears throat> around seventies, and even earlier. But my records are mostly after seventy three, after the um, establishing the um, uh, Finnish UFO research of Fufora. So, uh, but there's been many, many, many interesting cases. Uh, and as I said, we have 3,000 paper uh, reports, and we haven't gone through this material uh, as yet. <laughs> I mean, it's been, of course, those who were involved 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they probably know this about these cases, but it's so enormous task. And it's developing now that we will send all 3,000 reports to Sweden and they will scan them for us because they have a stuff and very active, I'm sure you know to whom I'm referring, Klaus Swan. Yes. Organization. yes. So Klaus was lecturing for us in, in, uh, near Helsinki uh, in early September in our convention and we decided that we will ship the uh, all the files to Sweden, and he's got the stuff who can scan everything, and and that makes our life a little bit easier. Our organization is much smaller, and uh, we do not have government help as they have. <laughs> they employ people, people for them, and <clears throat> and so forth. So, um, so, um, so that will, will yeah. help, and we can get the. Uh, easier way to check out what they have had in the past especially i mean yeah absolutely you can even put an ai to work to go through all the documents and analyze patterns i think uh, going digital is a way forward there so it's fascinating yeah and um so i believe you have a case study you wanted to focus on a bit more in detail right the um, yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. Um, so uh, yeah i have actually uh I've translated this case. This is very, very interesting case from the year 71. But uh, the reason why I wanted to uh, go to this particular case is that I've involved 
this case personally. I've in, investigated it uh, from the very beginning. And before I start, I've um, <clears throat> written because there's so many, so many <laughs> different steps over the years. Um, this began from 2006. And how it started, how I <clears throat> learned about this case, the Rovaniemi military default case uh, from the year 71. Why is it that <clears throat> I said that it was an accident, but I do not believe in accidents. I don't think that there's such thing as an accident. But it looks like an, some sort of accident. So I get the info about this case accidentally. And it happened this way, that my wife's sister, she's married to a guy who is, uh, has been working, not that he's retired now, but 2006 for the telephone company. And they had stopped to a gas station to have a cup of coffee. And they met another group of uh, telephone company workers and at least we joke here in Finland that you will meet the telephone company people in a, at the gas station drinking coffee. <laughs> so, so that's what happened. Anyway, so when they were drinking coffee, they had began talking about the army times. We have a compulsory army in Finland. <coughs> so um, it's from six months to 11 months. <coughs> Not Anymore, it's not that compulsory what it was when I was in army uh, around the same time, 70. Uh, actually, I was in 69 in army, but I was radio operator, uh, <laughs> telegraph operator, a Morse code operator, <clears throat> because I was ham radio operator. But, but anyway, <clears throat> so they began talking about what had happened in the army. And one of the guys had a story that one of my friends, the roommate, actually, had a very strange uh, thing happen when, when he was in the army in Rovaniemi. And, well, I'm, I, I'm not going to talk about it more, but that's how I got the information. Because the, my wife's uh, sister's husband knew that I'm involved with the UFO in research. So he called me. He understood. It was clever because he understood that it was an important uh, case. So he, when he visited here, he began to talk about what he had heard. So my first reaction was, do you have the name of the person who was involved in this? Do you have his telephone number? And it didn't take more than probably three days. I had this person's name and his telephone number. So that's the beginning, but I do not think that that, that was that was accidentally <laughs> received information. <laughs> it has a purpose. But um, so I translated my Finnish version. This is abbreviated because this is uh, complicated and 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 and, and a little confusing uh, case. So <clears throat> I'm going to read it to you. Uh, what's going on? So. Sure. The title is The Case of the Rovaniemi Military Deport in 1971. In many ways, this case is one of the most special and confusing UFO cases in Finland. 
There have been many interesting steps and twists and turns over the years in investigating this case. What makes it significant is that there have been military personnel involved and the incident has taken place in a guarded military area. In addition, there is a case we were able to find military documents to prove that the incident is true. I use the nickname Simon for the Air Force soldier who was, who has a major role in this case. He didn't, he didn't want to reveal his own name. Simon was still in the military service at the time of my first contact with him. When I interviewed him the first time, Simon expressed his concern that he did not want to be questioned with, about what he had said, meaning the military. So what happened? Simon was performing his army service in Rovaniemi Air Force Garrison in the Arctic Circle, 1971. The incident occurred during the guard shift on August 23, 1971 at 1.30 a.m. local time. That night, Simon was on guard duty in the military storage area near the city of Rovaniemi. Uh, the dramatic course of events began in the midst of the night. Simon was walking around the storage area when he noticed reflecting light from the road. That road leads to a storage cave tunnel, which is built inside the base rock. The guard trail runs somewhat higher than the road to the storage tunnel. After walking a little closer to the road, overlooking the road and the entrance to the tunnel, he walked closer to the edge of the hill so that he had a clear view of the road. Simon described the light and the object as a bluish light similar to a gas flame. He walked Closer, he found an object floating on the road. He saw a round object floating, but could not see the windows or other details from this object. From the object, the case assessment was also uh, difficult as he looked uh, at the UFO from above the cliff, which is higher than the road. He first thought of a truck on the road. As he got closer and had a straight view of the object, immediately he realized that it was quite something other than a human-made device. The object was a circular shape and about three to four meters in diameter. It was silent. The object had landed on the road leading inside the tunnel. Near the doors of the storage tunnel. Simon was now about 50 meters from the object standing on the cliff. At this point, Simon also realized that his friend was inside the tunnel, beyond the doors serving the guard duty inside the tunnel. Awareness of this situation was of particular concern to Simon because 
the UFO was so close to the doors. Simon decided to act. He had a flashlight with him, and he pointed the flashlight beam towards the UFO. Immediately, he heard a strange sound from the object. Simon was scared and thought he was in danger. He decided to fire his gun at the target floating on the road. After firing apparently two shots towards the UFO, it quickly began to glide silently backward and in a few seconds disappeared. The target did not ascend straight up but flew backward and sideways out of sight. Simon couldn't tell how long the encounter lasted. However, Simon did not believe that there was uh, so-called missing time phenomenon involved. But he couldn't be completely sure about it because of the shock. Simon dropped, Simon had dropped the gun on the ridge in a panic and started to run towards the supervisor's residence immediately after the shooting the UFO, which had disappeared from view. According to Simon, the military conducted an investigation. A researcher had come from Tikokoski Carrison from central Finland to find out what had happened. Simon has no information about the results of the study. As a result of the encounter, abscesses, abscesses appeared on Simon's feet. Because of this, Simon was in the care of an army doctor. Symptoms were suspected to be caused by radiation. Simon says that the traces left permanent marks on his feet. They were still visible after decades. Um, We heard that a radio amateur who lived nearby had talked about exceptional radio interference during the event. More about this later. Another conscript got it inside the cave, was unaware of the incident because he was about 100 meters from the doors of the, of the tunnel. The experience had been very sex- stressful for Simon. He was very reluctant to talk about it, even though it had occurred a long time ago. In, in almost every phone conversation, I had to persuade Simon to tell me the details of the case. The interviews have revealed a strong state of fear about what had happened. Further information I had about, uh, I had the phone interview with Simon a few weeks later. This was the second phone interview with him. He was very reluctant to talk about it. Uh, talk about the incident, but after a while, he changed his mind and we talked about the incident for about 20 minutes. In this conversation, an interesting fact emerged that Simon is working in the same place where the UFO encounter had taken place, 1971, the Rovaniemi Air Force Base. This, of course, partly explains why he was very reluctant, very concerned, Uh, about uh, digging up the case. The concern was obvious because 
he was on an army payroll, and apparently he thought it might give it might have a negative impact on his career. After we had gone through the case interview, I asked for the opportunity to call him again uh, for the further uh, clarifications. Simon gave permission to do it. I decided to proceed with caution. I called Simon again a few weeks later 2000, in 2006. I will try to get, clarify a few more things about the case and also reconfirm the course of events as well as verify the consistency of the data compared to my previous interviews. Simon was still very concerned again and not very willing to talk about what had happened. In practice, so I started the interview again from almost zero. After a long discussion, Simon calmed down and we got to go through the case again. A few uh, a new interview in the case confirmed the information I had already received. The description was exactly the same as in my previous interviews. I asked Simon if he was forbidden to talk about the incident. According to Simon, he had not been explicitly banned from talking about it. He said that it was forbidden to talk about what was going on in the army or things related to army, or what was being stored in the storage depot. I also asked to get the permission to come to meet Simon uh, in person in Rovaniemi, but he refused. The experience had been very tough for Simon. He said the case is still on his mind on a daily basis. At this point, I decided to wait for Simon to retire from the army. His retirement was not too far uh, away. The next step, I tried to contact the former commander of the Air Force. I called him two times and he did not answer to my call. The commander's name is Rauno Merio. He should have been in service at that time of the um, UFO incident. Finally, he called me back on November 10, 2015. And he, he said that uh, he was not aware of that UFO incident during his tenure. He had no recollection of such a case, he said. This made the event even more mysterious. I suspected that what he told me was not true. I had a Zoom meeting with him in 2021. I interviewed Rauno Maria a couple of times, 2021 by Zoom. The first interview was uh, a kind of exercise for the uh, Wiley TV documentary we were filming, uh, which was supposed to record the next day. <clears throat> we had a general discussion about unrecognized phenomenon, and the military's perspective on the matter, and so on. The next day, our conversation uh, about our Zoom conversation was recorded for the moment, for the document, documentary. Uh, Mr. Merrier did not say anything new and significant. 
personally, I thought couldn't be like that. But what you can do, however, the case on Miriam's side has not yet been completed. More about it later. More information, we jump a little bit backwards. More information on November 16, 2015. This case seemed to be of interest to the public, general public. In my presentations, I have repeatedly spoken of the case. I have had a number of public appearances, presentations, YouTube videos, and so on. One of the YouTube videos has been watched 44,000 times. So, again, I got another very significant tip from a taxi service owner in Rovaniemi who contacted me. He said he knows who the radio amateur operator involved in the case is. At this point, he did not know the name of the amateur radio operator, but he knew where he lives because he had given him taxi rides. The taxi driver promised to let me know when the name is known. So I received a phone call on October 30, 2018. He informed me that he now knows the name of the and the phone number of the amateur radio person. He had also received permission from the person that I can contact him and discuss the case with him. Now the case got a new, very interesting, and very significant right action. The, the, uh, yeah, no, so it sounds uh, absolutely fascinating, um, Heike. Um, so you have um, multiple lines of evidence converging. Uh, it's a military case. I mean, it's um, kind of the... Uh, Finnish uh, Rendlesham Forest, <laughs> almost what it sounds like. Um, it's, um, it's sounds sounds fascinating. Um, but uh, hey, but do you want to hear the rest of the story? Yeah, please, please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, okay, because there's much continue. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. abbreviated, but there's much interesting twist. So, so yeah, the the name the taxi driver <clears throat> um, informed me was his name was Heino Aho. Uh, we had a long phone chat with him on October 30 in 2018. He came in to use his own name in the case. Um, to my astonishment, he had worked in the storage area as an intelligence officer for years. His hobby was ham radio, or amateur radio as it's called in, in Europe. He had been on radio working with another amateur radio station in USA. The call sign of this U.S. amateur radio operator is WV0AME. Unexpectedly, during the radio contact at 22.40 GMT, a local time, 1.40 AM, the receiver suddenly went completely muted. The first He first suspected that the antenna had disconnected or something similar had occurred. But all the connectors were closed and no visible faults were found in the equipment. But the receiver had but the receiver and the transmitter were completely muted, which was completely incompre incomprehensible. It had never before occurred. The exact time of the radio contact 
to USA, and other relevant information was recorded in his logbook. Keeping a logbook of the radio contacts was mandatory at the time. The time must be very precise in this case, as it was in a report of the uh, officer and the amateur radio operator who is well accustomed to these uh, kind of routine entries. All radio contacts are recorded in logbook precisely. That's why we have very accurate time of the UFO landing close by. The next day, he entered on logbook additional remark, remark, UFO. After the other details of the interrupted contact previous night, the, uh, the case progressed so that shortly after the issue with the radios, Heino Aho heard a knock on his door. And there was an airman, the guide, looking distressed, white, pale, uh, the pale face, and out, he was out of breath and ca- uh, came to report what had happened. Simon announced that he had fired at the target in front of the tunnel. Immediately, Heino Aho realized that something very exceptional had occurred. After hearing that the security guard had fired at the target, firing on a guard duty is a very significant case that causes immediate action. Heino Aho put the clothes on, and they left the scene together. Simon had told Heino that he had thought the truck had entered the mouth of the storage tunnel, but had immediately realized that uh, that was uh, um, realized that no one had opened the gate to the storage area and let anyone in the area. Guard Simon had said that he had walked closer to the reflecting light. He had seen uh, he had seen round, bright object about the width of the road in front of the tunnel doors. He had first pointed the object with the flashlight beam, um, and the UFO had reacted to it. Simon said he heard a strange sound from the object when the light from the flashlight beam hit the object. Simon was very scared, and he told um, the Simon was very scared, and he thought that the target was attacking him. Then Simon fired a few shots at the ship with a machine gun. According to earlier version, five shots, but according to Heno, Aho, two shells have been found in the in the investigation. As soon as the shooting took place, the ship had risen slightly higher and moved backward, leaning slightly to the side, to the side and leaving the area. According to uh, Heino, the guide acted as instructed. He fired at an unauthorized entry to the secret military area. Finding former intelligence uh, officer Heino Awas had a very significant role in the investigation of the case. Heino also talked about an interesting coincidence that happened in Tikkakoski garrison for many years later. 
apparently at the time, uh, sometime at the 80s, late 80s. The army officers had a, had had a meeting in Tikkakoski. There was some kind of get-together with the military officers. With, uh, it was official meeting. Everyone was wearing military outfits. You know, he told me that a person in civilian clothes approached him. He did not know the man. This person has started asking about the Rovaniemi UFO case. Enoch had wondered about the exact details of the interviewer about the case. This man had been particularly interested in the details of the case and asked several questions concerning the Rovaniemi occurrence. The person uh, was on. That the person was the only person wearing civilian clothes in this event. <clears throat> this case was not known in Finland at that time, except those by those who were involved with it somehow. This means that the military in this country have people who investigate this kind of phenomenon. So the next step uh, in the investigation, I was contacted by a person who was not a UFO researcher, but was a, was very interested in the case. This person had, had searched the files concerning this case for about two years. He told me, I started by going through the microfilm archives from 1969 to 1972 to see if there were any other similar observations in the public at the time, and if something special had happened in, in the press during August 71. There were quite a few interesting and surprising articles about the UFOs at that time. As the search continued, he managed to find four pages of original military records concerning this case. The military document, documentary findings are very relevant to this case and confirmed the authenticity of the incident. For the first time in, in Finland, we were able to get original investigation report from the military. It is also interesting to note that possible radioactivity had been investigated in the incident area. That was indicated in the documents we got. Uh, the document indicated that the person who shot the UFO said in, an, in, said in an interview that he had suffered some type of radiation injury to his feet. He told of traces that had been left on the feet and, and the marks were visible uh, there for the rest of his life. Another significant fact that appeared in the records is that not all the documents related to this case were not released. For some reason, they did not release all the documents related to this case. Now, however, we know that there are more documentaries and the, uh, and the case is not closed yet. Thanks to the evidence we obtained, these new documents make this case one of the most significant UFO cases in Finland. And now, <clears throat> back to um, uh, Rauno Merio. 
former commander of Rovaniemi Air Force Base. He totally surprised me with his email of September 4, 2021. Here's the email. It's abbreviated. Hello, Heikki. I want to revisit that incident in Rovaniemi, especially the shots fired by a security guard. I had only been the commander of Romanimi Air Force Base for less than a week. We took uh, the guards' report of the UFO sighting seriously and were confident he was telling the truth. The case, however, remained a mystery. Um, then there's a little bit, a little bit uh, about the um, documentaries in Rovaniemi. I didn't tell earlier about it, but uh, he comments. He has a comment to the uh, missing documents. I've, in an interview, I asked him. Uh, I heard from uh, Heino Aho that there w- there has been documentaries uh, in Rovaniemi, but they have been destroyed later. So he comments. I asked this uh, the commander, and he replies in this email <clears throat> there was there was never any reason for the deliberate destruction of documentaries documents during my tenure and s- such an action was never taken however i doubt that there are more uh, research documents available on the case at least i don't recall any except those four pages of documents were found. Signed, Rauno Meria. So, um, about these documentaries, of course, <coughs> they destroyed the documents in Romaniemi, but the copies, the original copies, were sent to Helsinki archives. So that was confirmed to uh, the um, uh, Aho a uh, little uh, later. So, <coughs> well, uh, I think I know why the commander's memory recovered unexpectedly. The reason was simply that we found out those original army documents, and he was aware of this because they were they're available on our website. Maybe he estimated that sooner or later we'll get more documents proving that he was the commander and uh, commander of the Air Force Base at that time, and he was aware of the incident. Uh, in this way, <clears throat> we also received confirmation from the commander. So <clears throat> the Romania case of 1971 has become one of the most significant and authentic uh, UFO cases in Finland. Thanks to the evidence we obtained, these new documents have elevated this case, uh, most sig- significant UFO cases in, uh, in Finland's history. Let's uh, note further about what's what's noteworthy about this case is that all the individuals involved were military professionals. The guard who carried out the military service at uh, that time wasn't a conventional full-time serviceman, but rather transitioned into a military professional afterwards, and he served. Uh, pursuing a career in the military as a technician or engineer for the rest of his life. 
So the, the Roman case 71 has now solidified its place as one of the most substantial and authentic UFO cases in Finland. Its significance lies in the fact that it occurred uh, within an army depot area and all those involved were army personnel. So in a nutshell, this is the case. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Heike. I mean, this is, uh, has been very educational. Um, it's it's a great case. I think it's not only uh, one of the, as you said, best cases in, in Finland, but also internationally. And this is why, for me, it's really important to bring people like you on the show because, you know, abroad, no one really uh, knows, knows of such wonderful cases. So it's um, amazing. And you also have these different lines of evidence coming together. So eyewitness accounts, documentary evidence, and then even physical traces, uh, unfortunately, um, which had a bad health impact on that individual. Um, but yeah, very fascinating. Um Two things um, came to my mind as you were um, recounting this case. The first is, do you have any idea of what might be stored at that um, army facility? Oh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> good question, yes. Okay. Um, yes, but it took a um, couple of years, uh, maybe maybe three, four years, until I began to think about it. Why? Uh, why the UFO was seen at this particular place and close to the um, tunnel doors. Um, well, <clears throat> suddenly I realized that where the UFOs have been seen worldwide, usually in a military area, at the military area, and the area where some way the nuclear weapons are uh, somehow related to this. Of course, I can guarantee because Finland is and has been a nuclear-free country as far as I know and always, <laughs> always. And uh, by the way, I ask this question from the commander as well. He was a very nice, polite man, but when I asked this, his attitude <laughs> changed <laughs> yes. very, very quickly. Uh, it was a drastic change because he's a very nice, polite man. He was, by the way, he celebrated 19th birthday, uh, I think last week. I met his granddaughter at the uh, psychic fair, or it's not really psychic fair, but in Helsinki, where I was lecturing uh, <clears throat> two weeks ago uh, in the mid-October. Uh, and and even her daughter, because she was interested in this kind of stuff, because this is this, the, the fair was uh, like um, the name is uh, something translated, something like uh, the, the fear of the... Uh, Psychic affairs and and the knowledge, a little bit complicated name, but that, that's the purpose. It's been about forty years every year in Helsinki, and, and I was I've been lecturing there earlier, and and I had an interview <clears throat> which lasted about uh, an hour. Uh, a person who was uh, writing a book, he was he interviewed for me about an hour, and and there was two girls. Or actually, lots of people were passing by, and and this particular couple uh, passed by several times. And finally, she came to me, and I'm the granddaughter, the 
Rauno Meriota commander. <laughs> and, and she told me that uh, she has asked him this, about this case several times, but not even to her. She had, he had not revealed anything. But I, I asked, okay, go ahead and continue, continue asking, continue asking. Maybe, maybe he will, uh, he will uh, reveal something. And he was, by the way, um, finishing his uh, book at the present time. And in a Marius case, is another interesting, uh, interesting thing is that he has translated a book about uh, humanoids sometime in the 80s. I've never seen it, but I know that it's true. He had trans... So he have interest to the UFO phenomenons and because otherwise no one couldn't go to the job and translate the book uh, to um, finish it. So it's an enormous, yeah. enormous task. Now it's a little bit easier today, but the 80s, you have to do it manually and nowadays it goes a little bit faster and, and, and it's probably a little bit, little bit easier. Yeah. But anyway, it was a, a positive, nice surprise to meet, meet her granddaughter who was interested in this phenomenon. And, and I, I was good to hear that she, uh, he was still alive and, and, and in good condition. He's been an athlete uh, throughout his uh, life and also a pilot, of course. He's a fighter pilot uh, by his background. And we had lots of talk about the flying because I've been the pilot for 2,000 hours myself. <laughs> so... And little addition, if you want to hear, uh, right after uh, the uh, the, the uh, my lecture in Helsinki, mid September, <clears throat> someone called me, a lady from Rovaniemi. Originally, he he had been working as a physiotherapist in Rovaniemi, and he called me and said that I know the person we're talking about, the Simon. I know him because he's uh, he's been in her treatment several times, and he know the problems. And she told me that she he never told him where what had caused those abscesses and and marks on his skin. They were um, they were also on arms and elsewhere in the body, not just in the feet, as we originally. Were aware, so so he had treated him several times, but he never, never mentioned anything. And the nurse or the physical therapist told me that that was that was not good because he did not told him or her what was the cause that the radiation was the reason uh, the uh, for the uh, for the abscesses or uh, mics permanent mics on his body. So um, that was that was a nice little addition. As yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, as I said, I started two thousand and six, and still we got the little pieces of information. And what, yeah, yeah. if I may continue about the uh, about the uh, the possible cause, uh, why that uh, this um, spaceship flying saucer UAP mm-hmm. was uh, parked in front of the tunnel doors is that uh, I began to suspect that the only possibility is that 
there's something to do with the nuclear stuff. And uh, unofficial information, this is this is by no means anything that I can prove, but a person, because I've talked about this many times in several occasions, <clears throat> told me that maybe the Swedish people, Swedes and fans together had prepared something together at 70s. <laughs> I do not know, but that makes me wonder. And my point is that at that time, 71, we had uh, Swedish Draken fighter planes and Russians MiG mix airplanes. And I, I'm pretty much sure that they, they are not interested in those planes. <laughs> they are so brilliant. And there must have been much more uh, important things which it has some sort of concern uh, with the uh, uh, with the uh, aliens <laughs> yeah that's also why i asked because um there's a very uh, well known almost correlation between uh, ufo appearances and um the sites of uh, nuclear storage facilities um you know robert salas in the us and i think in germany there have also been um instances where this has been reported so yeah makes makes you wonder what was at the other side of that tunnel very interesting and um yeah i love cases that develop organically over the years where you know eyewitnesses come forward and you have more um evidence that you can place together in that puzzle um just to wrap this up is there um a formal procedure in finland like a freedom of information act system where if you want to gain more knowledge about a case can you then write a letter to the government and they will disclose information or does that as such not exist uh not the similars in the us uh, usa the freedom freedom of information law but of course we can apply the guy who found uh the four pages of the original army reports uh with the with the staples and names of the captain and whatever there is, so they are official. And we have copies on our website, on the fufora.fi. And this is case number. Unfortunately, it's not in English, so it is a little bit problematic. But anyway, anyway, they are available there. <clears throat> so um, yeah, we try, we try to uh, uh, make English version uh, on our website as soon as possible, but we have no. been very, very busy. But uh, we can apply, uh, we can apply uh, so-called forbidden <laughs> secret information, uh, but, but yeah. no, no law like that. But hmm. Yeah, no, excellent. Heggy, you've been very generous with your time and it's been very informative. Um, absolutely amazing case study, great overview of what's going on in Finland. Um, on a closing note, what is, um, what's keeping you busy these days? What's um, on the agenda for next yeah, few weeks? Yeah, although I'm supposed to uh, <laughs> be retired. I sold my major business, but I forgot to mention that in uh, 2000 I started importing woodworking and metal metalworking machinery and also the ham radio equipment. And, and I sold it uh, after 10 years grew up very big business and and uh, I thought that okay after selling the business uh, I have more time <laughs> but I've never been as busy when I've been past few years after the selling the business <laughs> selling the uh, import export business that what I had 
Uh, we still have acupuncture uh, product line, uh, but my youngest son, who is an acupuncturist, he takes care of that. So, so uh, uh, the uh, UFO research uh, gives me more work than anything else. And um, we have all kind of projects going on. Uh, we're planning now uh, the um, next uh, spring a one-day convention, which will be in the city of Tampere. And I just booked Gary Hesseltine from UK to one of the lectures. Well, it's a one-day one one day event. So um, we have just one international speaker uh, there and uh, the two other guys from from Finland who are very, very good experts on this field. And, um, well, yeah. Uh, lots, lots of things going on all the time, and still perform magic shows and and uh, many podcasts like this. There's several in the line waiting, <laughs> waiting. Uh, but uh, anyway, I enjoy talking about this subject, so uh, it's been great, <laughs> great pleasure talking with you. Brilliant, thanks, thanks a lot, Heggy. Um, where can people find more about? Um UFO research in Finland. I suppose your website is a good good starting place. Yeah, actually, yeah, the problem is that everything is in Finnish at the present time, so there's not an, uh, much material in English. In English, so that that's the problem. We are uh, we are trying to solve. Um, we we have to get some uh, language experts who are willing to work, and because it it is it it is a lot of work translated everything to English. Of course, by using translator, you can go, yeah. go to um, our website is www.fufora, like F-U-F-O-R-A dot F-I, Fufora. Uh, so um, there you can find our main page and... Um, uh, you gotta go to investigate investigators or actually reported cases, and there is about two thousand five hundred cases reported. Uh, and this particular Rovaniemi case, what I what I talked about earlier, uh, is case number ninety one. Case ninety one with the translator, you can get a little bit further inf- more inf- yeah. information than I was able to uh, able to uh, talk here. But I can tell you that there was many twists and turns uh, in this investigation. I didn't have time to talk about, especially with this uh, person Simon. Uh, and um, by the way, he he's he's already passed away about three years four years four years ago and if you want i can tell you uh one more little addition to this if you have time yeah go go ahead or okay. always up oh, for more okay. information about four years ago um i wanted to reconfirm uh, a couple of things from the simon i had his telephone number on my desk at least two weeks, and I thought that okay, now I gotta call him. Now I gotta call him. Finally, one 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 <laughs> particular Monday morning, I thought that okay, now I must do it. And I called him, and <clears throat> it took a long time that he answered. So I thought probably he's not gonna answer at all. I don't know what has happened, but, but he suddenly 
he answered. But immediately, I realized that something is very, very wrong. That something is going on. Something bad is going on. I, I, I could tell his voice and his way to talk. And, and then he said that I'm waiting for an ambulance. I have a cancer, which is spread all over. I'm going back to hospital. And oh boy, and he was in pain. I, I can tell you that he was in pain. And I thought, of what I'm going to do? Can I ask anything? Because I knew immediately that this is the last moment. I'm not going to meet this person anymore. So I thought, can I ask you one question? Just one question. I reconfirmed the time when this UFO case occurred because what I didn't tell here, we had. The first, uh, the um, first time we thought that it was 1974, which was uh, find out a little later, before I called him, the correct time. So um, I wanted to confirm this. And I said, Can I ask you one question? And and he he was soft, kind of a soft speaking guy. He didn't. Um, raise his voice or anything. He was a soft-talking uh, guy. He collect, I, I noticed that he collected his strength, and he talked very forcefully, this couple of three, four sentences, and, and, uh, and he got, reconfirmed everything. That when he was in army, it was 71, and this occurred in August, August uh, 23rd, and, and, and so forth, and so forth, and that was it. I called. I uh, I called him the last possible moment, last possible moment. So uh, that's one more extra <laughs> incident to the case. So as, yeah. as I said, there's many, many, yeah, and even more things that I somehow remarkable. Yeah, it's a, it really is a remarkable case with many different facets, and um, you know the the mystery continues. And it's going to be very exciting to see uh, what further evidence uh, crops yeah, up. We managed to know. get the rest of the documents. Yes, but we yeah, know yeah, that, that they have they have most likely they have investigation report what it was, but they didn't want to reveal what was their uh, conclusion to the case. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they but, uh, released only the four uh, pages, uh, the four four pages written in Rovaniemi, and signed by the captain and whatever officers. <clears throat> yeah, fascinating. Heike, you've been very generous with your time, and um, I'll uh, make sure to include all online resources where people can find you, including the show, um, the documentary produced last year, which is amazing. Um, I will also link that in the description. And um, yeah, it would be great to have you on the show again at some point. I feel uh, you're working a lot of things uh, simultaneously, which is very fascinating. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye.